This message comes from NPR sponsor, New Belgium Brewing, and its flagship beer, Fat Tire Amber Ale. You can't brew great beer without healthy rivers, forests, and soils. That's why Fat Tire Amber Ale is now America's first certified carbon-neutral beer. More at drinksustainably.com. From NPR and WNYC, coming to you from the Bell House in beautiful Brooklyn, New York, it's NPR's hour of puzzles, word games, and trivia, Ask Me Another. I'm Jonathan Colton. Now here's your host, Ophira Heisenberg. Hello! Hey, everybody! So we have four brilliant contestants on our show. They are backstage right now. They're talking. They're trying to decide whether they should declare a national trivia emergency. or not, and they'll be up here playing some games, and one of them will be our big winner. What a great show. Our guest is comedian, writer, actor, Jim Gaffigan. Jim, uh, Jim's recent comedy album was nominated for a Grammy. He has performed for The Pope. He's got three movies coming out. He's like the dad we all aspire to be, basically. (laughs) As, you know what, I appreciate him. As a, as a mom, I appreciate him. I appreciate the fact that he's super open about the fact that he has bad eating habits. I do like that. His first book was titled, Dad is Fat. <laughs> and you know what? Everyone loves a chubby dad. Everyone. Chubby dad is happy. <laughs> chubby dad is fun. <laughs> On the other hand, chubby mom? No, she's let herself go. <laughs> yeah, she's eating her feelings, right? Then there's skinny mom. Nobody likes a skinny mom. Oh, we judge a skinny mom. Oh, she's trying too hard. Yeah. (laughs) There's a reason why chubby hubby is an ice cream flavor. (laughs) Sounds like a good time. Skinny mom, I think, is a low-carb Chardonnay (laughs) that tastes like disappointment and yoga. (laughs) Hmm. Warrior one. Jim lives in New York City in a New York City apartment with his wife and five children, which I believe is legally an orphanage. (laughs) We all get down on the city. What's your current pet peeve of the city? Oh, you name it. Yeah. (laughs) This is a hard city to live in. It makes everything very difficult. I agree. Really, for me, the main thing is parking, because we have a car. Mm-hmm. And so I'm eternally moving it from one side of the street to the other and yes. waiting for other people to move theirs so that there's space for me to move mine. And everybody knows you're supposed to move your car now, but you don't. You ruin it for everybody. It's a very, it's a very frustrating. And do you do that dance where you're all in your cars, like just move like slightly to the middle of the street, waiting for the rules to change so you can move back? Totally, totally. Uh, I don't have a car, so I take the subway. And I often have to remind myself that the city is cool because people from all over the planet, all with different, diverse, interesting stories, come here for the chance to have their hair brush against my neck for our entire subway ride. So great. It's Women's History Month. So I'd appreciate if uh, everyone here starts studying women's history. So we have a trivia show, and we'd like to ask some questions on the show that aren't just about Florence Nightingale and Marie Curie. (laughs) We need some other women. You guys, we're going to have a great time. Let's play some games. Our first two contestants will play a game about animals named for celebrities like Seal. Let's meet them. First up, Katie Rogers. You recently started your own business as a customer experience consultant. Yeah. Wow, nice. Yeah. Uh, What made you decide to start your own business? Um, I saw that there was a lot of need for better customer service just across the board. Yeah. Um, No kidding. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm sort of a Mary Poppins of customer service. I just sort of float in, sort of fix things, and then I just you know, okay, you guys are good. I'm going to go float to the next, to the next company. And what, what's like the like number one thing you're just telling them right off the bat that maybe there people are going, Oh, huh, we didn't uh, do that. L- listen to your team and to your customers. <laughs> it's, it seems pretty obvious, but it's really not. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Katie, when you ring in, we'll hear this. Your opponent is Charlie Rubinovitz. You're an executive assistant at The Atlantic. Cool, cool. Now, you say that executive assistants are the unsung heroes. Why is that? Uh, because we never get any credit for all the things that we do. Um, oh, my God, I'm so sorry if you're listening. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not sorry. How about some credit? No, no, no. She's great. She's an amazing boss, and I'm really not just saying that. Don't worry. We, we will not air his name at all. It will just say blah, blah, beep. Great. Yeah, Perfect, that's really, right? really good. Yeah. Charlie, when you ring in, we'll hear this. Katie and Charlie, whoever has more points after two games will go on to our final round. This is a guessing game called Big Time Binomials. When a scientist discovers a new species, they can call it whatever they want. And sometimes scientists decide to name animals after celebrities. We will give you the scientific name of a living organism named after a celebrity, and you tell us if it's real or something we made up. Just ring in to answer, but be careful. If you're wrong, your opponent gets the point. Here we go. The Aliodes Shakiri wasp is named after Shakira. The female of the species injects its eggs into caterpillars, which then die as the egg hatches. As the caterpillar dies, it twists and bends, which reminded scientists of Shakira's dance moves. Real or fake? Katie. Real. Yeah, that's real. Wouldn't that be nice to work your whole career and then someone sees an insect writhing to death and thinks, <laughs> Oh, that reminds me that of somebody. Reminds me of... <laughs> the Jagger Merrick's Nyad is named after Mick Jagger. It's a prehistoric animal described as a cross between a long legged pig and a slender hippo <laughs> with supersized lips. Real or fake? Charlie. Real. That is absolutely real. The Tetradom Tom Brady is a species of pufferfish discovered in Chesapeake Bay in 2016. It was named after Tom Brady because the pufferfish is known for deflating so slowly <laughs> that it's almost imperceptible to the human eye. Real or fake? Katie. I think it's fake. You think correct. Yes. The Scaptia Beyoncéi, a rare species of horsefly found in Queensland, Australia, was named after the singer Beyoncé. The scientists described it as the all-time diva of flies. Real or fake? Charlie. Fake? I'm sorry, that is real. Yeah, I know. Scientists need to get out more. <laughs> A khaki-colored snail native to Queensland, Australia, reminded researchers of the naturalist Steve Irwin, so they named it Crikey Steve Irwin Eye. Real or fake? Katie. I'm going to go with fake. That's real. <laughs> I know, I know. It's a khaki-colored snail named after Steve Irwin. All right, this is your last clue. A botanist who discovered a miniature version of the infamously foul-smelling corpse lily said the fleshy petals reminded her of Lady Gaga's meat dress. <laughs> so she named it Rafflesia Gaga. Real or fake? Charlie. Real. No, that's fake. <laughs> it's a good idea, but it's fake. <laughs> All right, well done, both of you. Currently, Katie is in the lead. <laughs> Our next game is about New York City landmarks, and you have to answer quickly before they all turn into a Whole Foods with a soul cycle in the back. <laughs> Let's check in with our contestants. Katie, what is your favorite place to cry in New York City? Uh, I prefer a, a Starbucks bathroom. Yeah, yeah. I know. Because it's... there's one on every corner. Sure. And so if you're in between like job interviews or breakups or whatever, then you can just go in, do your cry, compose yourself, then yeah. you can go on your way. I mean, most of those bathrooms just make you want to cry anyways. <laughs> yeah. So it's like there's at least inspiration. Yeah. Uh, Charlie, what's your favorite place to cry in New York City? Probably like Bed Bath & Beyond. Sure. <laughs> Great idea. Great idea. And you could like put your face into yeah, something. I was things. gonna say, like, if it gets really bad, I can like swaddle myself in the linens. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one of our producers bravely ventured into Manhattan 
to produce this audio quiz, we found real people at famous New York City locations and then asked them to describe where they were. Uh, this game is worth double points. Katie, stay in the lead, and you go to the final round. Charlie, you need to get more points, or you have to move to Queens. <laughs> I know. Okay, here we go. Our first clip features Amber McCulloch from Chicago. I am currently overwhelmed by advertising, colorful, bright lights, and characters from animated films and um, cartoons and they're all just waiting for other people to take pictures with them. I don't know. It's quintessential New York. Charlie. Times Square. You got it. Quintessential New York. Mm-hmm. It's quintessential for every New Yorker to hate Times Square, I believe. Yeah. All these people. Get out of here, you people. <laughs> we traveled to 33rd Street and went indoors for this next clip. I'm Miriam Salzman, and I'm from New York. There's people waiting, waiting for trains, walking, eating. I think Grand Central smells a bit nicer, maybe a a little bit cleaner, a little bit prettier. I would probably not come here if I didn't have to. (laughs) Charlie. Penn Station? Oh, yeah, Penn Station. (laughs) Name this outdoor location. I'm Andrew Veal from England. I'm here on holiday. It's very narrow, very narrow place. You're a little bit off the ground. It's a nice long walk. You're surrounded by beautiful plants. A sort of restful place to be. Charlie. The High Line. You're right, yeah. This is your last clue. Alexander Weber from Belgium may know more about this building than most New Yorkers do. We are in, uh, at the bottom of a big building who is uh, very famous in New York and it was built in 1930, completed in 1931. The architecture is very nice. It's uh, Art Deco. Katie. The Empire State Building. You're right. Yes. Well done. All right. Great game. And after two games, it looks like Charlie has come out the winner and is moving on to our final round. Coming up, we'll find out who will face off against Charlie in our final round. And I'll talk to Jim Gaffigan, who recently had his fourth Grammy nomination without a win. He is the Amy Adams of comedy. I'm Ophira Eisenberg, and this is Ask Me Another from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Netflix's Ratchet. From the creator of American Horror Story and starring Emmy Award winner Sarah Paulson, Netflix's Ratchet tells the origin story of how the iconic asylum nurse from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Mildred Ratchet, came to be. This suspenseful drama delves deep into the mysterious world of 1940s psychiatric hospitals, where Mildred Ratchet must reckon with her past and anyone in her way. Watch Ratchet only on Netflix September 18th. This message comes from NPR sponsor 3M, supporting communities in the fight against COVID-19. Since the outbreak, 3M has responded with cash and product donations, including surgical masks, hand sanitizer, and respirators through local and global aid partners. In addition, 3M is on track to produce 2 billion respirators globally by the end of 2020. Learn how 3M is helping the world respond to COVID-19. Go to 3M.com slash COVID. 3M Science. Applied to life. This is Ask Me Another, NPR's hour of puzzles, word games, and trivia. I'm Jonathan Colton. Now here is your host, Ophira Eisenberg. Thanks, Jonathan. It's time to welcome our special guest. He's a comedian, actor, writer, and his last comedy album, Noble Ape, was nominated for a Grammy Award. Please welcome Jim Gaffigan. Thank you. Thank you so much. You were on the show in 2015. Yes, I remember. With your wife, Jeannie. Yes. Uh, and you, a lot of things have changed for you because you've done so many things in that time, <laughs> including that you are going to uh, record the very first comedy special for Amazon coming up. I am. I am. That's okay. Right. See how much... 
Yes. And your wife, Jeannie, is directing and executive producing yes. your special. So you guys have worked together through your entire career uh, and relationship. Yes. How has it evolved over the years? I've become more and more frightened of her. <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's shifted so much because, uh, you know, we've been married for 15 years. I think it's 18 years we've been together. And the relationship has changed. You know, you're a comedian initially... You know, when people pitch you ideas, you're like very polite. You're like, that's neat. Thank you for that. That's not at all what I'm doing. So I was I was very resistant to it. But now it's full on uh, codependency, I would say. <laughs> but it changes, you know. It's, it's the availability of, you know, when we were first dating, we'd get a bottle of wine, we'd sit back and we'd write. It's like, now that doesn't happen. Now she sends me emails of like comments when she sees a show and sometimes I read them yeah <laughs> but it's her insights invaluable you know and having that <laughs> she doesn't listen to the radio anyway so in uh, 2015 yes. you were asked to open for the Pope, Pope yeah. Francis at the Festival yes. of Families in Philadelphia. How does that call or email come in? Well, you, it, uh, my manager was called, and I thought it was a joke. Yeah. So, like, I thought that time was going to pass, and they're going to be like, well, obviously, we're not going to have a comedian <laughs> perform before the Pope goes on. Yeah. And at one point, I had shows in Atlantic City, and all the organizers were from Philly, and they came, and I'm like, right, they're going to come, and they're going to see, this is not a good idea. <laughs> like, all right, this guy talks about baloney for 10 minutes. It's and also then, so funny that they're scouting you at Atlantic City. <laughs> you know, like, and then, like, the religious leader of the world of Catholics will come on. It was, but it was, it was fascinating. Because it's also, you know, as a comedian, you know this. There are certain situations that you're not going to succeed in. You're just not. There's no scenario where comedians opening for the Pope and people are like, that's what we wanted. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> when we imagine this. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's no scenario where people are like, you know what? I like the Pope, but the guy that went on before was better. You know what I mean? That never, that never happens. There's just people that are going to be like, he was inappropriate. And then there's people, he was safe. You know, it's like, and I was in Philadelphia, which they just generally just like to eat people. <laughs> so, so it was, but I knew that going into it. It made me realize that the northeastern part of the United States is is why this we're this country that's independent of the of England is because there are people in the northeast that just like to fight. Yes. Right. I mean, that is just the whole Acela line from <laughs> D.C. to Boston. I call it the corridor of hate. It's just. It's not necessarily violence, but. Pretty close to it, you know? But you go to Virginia, people are kind of thoughtful, introspective. Baltimore, no. No. Not at all. Uh, so in your latest comedy album, Noble Ape, congratulations on thank the you. Grammy nomination, thank by you. the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, worthy of the nomination, of course, and the material is very autobiographical, including you go pretty deep because you talk about your wife's dealing with a brain tumor she yes, had. Yes, yes. Uh, she had it removed. Yes. But that was there, obviously... You don't get to keep it. <laughs> no, you don't get to, They don't <laughs> give it back to you. Here you go. Uh, but I'm sure that was a very traumatic thing that happened in your lives. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when you're doing material like that that is so intense and personal yeah. and your wife is involved with your comedy, yeah. how did that come together where you both agreed that this was worthy to talk about on stage? I was not of the opinion. I was like, I don't want to bring this up. Right. I mean, some of it is I'm superstitious. And, you know, she had this brain tumor the size of a pair removed from her head. And she was, like, one of the things she she came out of that and she was like, I do want people to know that they can go through this and survive because immediately when she found out she was on the internet looking for examples of people making it through brain tumors. So that propelled 
her to encourage us to kind of do some material on it. And also some of it is as comedians and you know this, it's like how you deal with situations is to write jokes about them. And what I found was, was so fascinating is, you know, maybe someone doesn't have a spouse that's had a brain tumor, but everyone has spent those two weeks in a hospital. So when I started doing the material, it was very, it was amazing how it connected with people. Oh, yeah, I, and dealing with the medical community, like yes. that disconnect and connect. You know, we live in such a connected age. You know, it almost was weird if I didn't bring it up. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had to bring it up at the beginning of the show because if I didn't, people would be like, is he going to talk about the fact his wife had a brain tumor? Right, it would be the elephant so, in the room. Yes, so it was pretty fascinating you know, I'll run into people in airports and they'll be like, you know, I prayed for your wife. And I'm like, well, thank you. You know, but it's it's strange because you don't realize how we're all connected. And that's why I'm running for president. <laughs> that's right. Free college tuition. <laughs> uh, and now you have three films that are coming out. Yes. Uh, you were just at Sundance. They had their world premiere. Yes. Uh, the roles are pretty meaty, dramatic roles. Yeah, so fun. So, yeah, this is so fun. It is. It's amazing. I mean, I've always, I've always done acting. I just have never gotten roles, <laughs> you know? Uh, so it's, <laughs> people will ask, they're like, so why this shift into these dramatic roles? I'm like, because now they started to hire me. Uh, so it's, they're different roles and they're different lengths of beard and all of that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of beard acting. No, but they're like, I, you see, you do things and you forget, but my beard in Them That Follow was out to here. Like it's, it's pretty impressive. That's awesome. Uh, we, I'm looking forward to seeing all of them. But right now I'm wondering, would you like to play and ask yes. me another game? All yes. right. So, Jim, we were inspired uh, by one of your three movies at Sundance, Troop Zero, because you play the dad of a girl who dreams of having her voice recorded for the Golden Voyager record. Uh, NASA launched the Voyager record into space in 1977, and it contained music and sound and images meant to depict life on Earth. So I'm going to describe something. And you're going to tell me, is it really on the Voyager record, or did we just make it up? Ah. And if you do well enough, listener Kelly DeGaring from Arvada, Colorado, will win and ask me another Rubik's Cube. All right. A photo of a man biting into a sandwich that already has a bite taken out of the opposite side. And a woman licking an ice cream cone. Is that on the Voyager record? Uh, I thought it was all audio. No, it's images. Yeah, it's images as well. That, uh, oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say no. It is on it. I knew yes. it. Yes. I know it. It's, I know it's it. to demonstrate eating. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I like that. It's like a guy eating a sandwich and a woman licking an ice cream uh, Why cone. was there a bite on the other side of it? <laughs> The aliens are going to be like, what kind of weird people eat both sides? It's like they eat a bite of the hot dog and then they switch to the other side. That's a good idea. Save the best bite for last. No wonder the aliens haven't come. They're like, oh, these people are annoying. Uh, In case aliens want to know what kind of sound keeps us up at night, there's an eight-second clip of a faucet dripping. Is that on the Voyager record? I'm going to say no. You're correct. It is not. It is not. You're welcome, Kelly. Uh, If aliens ever land here and need to tell the difference between a wild dog and a domesticated dog, good news, recordings of both are included. Is that on the Voyager record? That that could be on there, but, like, I don't know if, like, what... uh, How do you know a wild dog versus a domesticated dog? Like, one dog's like, I live in a house. (laughs) You know what I mean? I I I am outside! (laughs) I'm not domesticated! Don't they bark the same either way? Uh, I do think the domesticated dog sounds relaxed. They do? I think so. They're like, ruff, ruff. Ruff, ruff. There's at least going to be a bowl of water. Ruff. So what do you think? Is it on the record? Sure. Why not? Yeah, you're right. It is. It is on the record. 
All right, this is your last clue. A photo of a woman in a fruit aisle of the supermarket, guiltily staring at the camera while eating a single grape. Guiltily? Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that was a word. (laughs) (laughs) We'll find out from our listeners if it's not. Why is she guiltily eating a grape? Oh, because she's eating it in the grocery store. I guess so, yeah. She's stealing. (laughs) I think it's, uh, I, I, yeah, no, yes. I'm good at this. (laughs) (laughs) Is, yeah, yes. It is on the album, Uh, you're right. How did I know? You knew. (laughs) You know what's amazing is I didn't hesitate, I just answered. (laughs) I know. (laughs) You're decisive like that. Congratulations, Jim. You and Kelly DeGaring won Ask Me Another Rubik's Thank Cube. Thank you. Jim will be joining us for another game later in the show. Jim Gaffigan, oh. everybody. <laughs> Want our next special guest to play for you? Follow Ask Me Another on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our next game is middle school themed, and who knew doing a book report without reading the book would prepare me for a bright future in book clubs? Let's meet our contestants. First up, Allison Cave. You own a combination bar and bakery. So cool. Yes. Okay, so how did you get into the uh, bakery bar business? Well, I was a baker and a bartender. You were a baker and a bartender? Yeah. I was, you know, you can't really make a lot of money baking pies, so you also have to bartend. Sure. So, yeah, that's sort of how the concept came about. And is it 50-50? We don't like to do really formal pairings. It's much more casual, so some people come and, you know. I love that you went for, we don't like to do formal pairings. Like, I, yeah, I wasn't even going there, and I was like, but you should. I mean, you can have whatever you want is the idea. Yeah. So you can come and just get a piece of cake, come and just have a cocktail. We have regulars who just come every week and get a slice of our birthday cake or a beer or whatever. So Fantastic. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Allison, when you ring in, we'll hear this. Your opponent is Jill Kotler. You work for an ad tech startup, and you're currently taking care of a bonsai. Yes. All right. <laughs> That's true. Jill Bonsais are tough. You're telling me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I love plants, but I'm a little intimidated by the bonsai. How, what made you decide to get into the bonsai sure. garden? Yeah, so I recently got into gardening, Yeah. just in general, and it's yeah. been going great. Great. Uh, and then I was at the Brooklyn Botanical Garden, yeah. and they have those amazing bonsais, yes. and they're like 100 or 200 years old, mm-hmm. so I was like, I better get started. <laughs> 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 okay. So what, what kind of bonsai did you get? So I have a Trident Maple bonsai, uh-huh. um, and it's pretty cool. But right now, it's actually in the basement of my apartment because Uh-oh. it doesn't need any lights. It doesn't need any Or light? anything during the winter. It's supposed to winter and uh, stay that way. Okay. Or I hope so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out in uh, mid-March. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm rooting for you. Me too. <laughs> rooting. Anyways, uh, Joel, when you ring in, we'll hear this. Remember, Allison and Jill, whoever has more points after two games will go to our final round. Let's go to your first game. Allison, if you had to write an academic paper right now, what would you write about? Picking the perfect cocktail for any situation. Any situation? Any situation. Okay, I've got one for you. Okay. It's 7 a.m. Okay. <laughs> okay. You agreed to go to a yoga class at 8. You don't want to go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What cocktail? I mean, I think an Irish coffee is the obvious smart, answer. Smart, smart, yeah. yeah. smart. Yeah. Smart. (laughs) Joel, if you had to write an academic paper right this minute, what would you write about? I guess something I know more about than other people. Um, So... Good one. (laughs) I guess smoking pot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty good at that. We're so (laughs) healthy. It's kind of amazing. I mean, I can believe you said that. You're growing a bonsai, for God's sakes. (laughs) (laughs) This trivia game is called Middle School Book Report. Jonathan and I will read fake book reports written by lazy middle schoolers who only bothered to read the assigned book's title and then just took it away from there. You ring in and identify the book. Before Harry Potter, there was this guy named Chuck Dickens who also wrote long books. (laughs) 
Believe it or not, Chucky e. D's book is also about a guy who does magic at the MGM Theater in Las Vegas. Joel. David Copperfield? That's right. Jane Austen's P&P is a rad two-part book. Part one is about a LGBT parade, and part two is how my mom describes my uncle. <laughs> Allison. Pride and Prejudice. You got that right, yeah. John Steinbeck could have written only about rodents, or only about dudes, but he made the interesting choice to write this book about both. This is a very good sequel to Stuart Little. <laughs> Allison. Of Mice and Men. Yeah, that's right. According to Miriam website, <laughs> the first word in this book's title means to blow with a dull, roaring sound. In the next four paragraphs, I'll discuss why Emily Bronte chose to do these sounds from up high instead of down low. <laughs> They're both thinking. Uh, here, I'll give you a hint. It's Emily Bronte's only novel. <laughs> Just make a list of all of her novels and look right at the top. <laughs> the main character's name is Heathcliff. Oh, Allison. Wuthering Heights. That is correct. This is your last clue. Not a lot of people know this, but Alice Walker's famous book is actually a combination of two earlier books, The Color Red and The Color Blue. Allison. The Color Purple. You got it. <laughs> Great game. Allison is in the lead. If you were horrified by that last game because you always read the assigned book and it reminded you of all the slackers you were stuck working on a group project with, you should be on our show. Go to amatickets.org. Coming up, we're going to rock about rock. We're going to get stoned. I mean, we're going to be singing about minerals. And if you think we've hit rock bottom, we're not even close. I'm Ophira Eisenberg, and this is Ask Me Another from NPR. <laughs> This message comes from NPR sponsor, Netflix's Ratchet, from the creator of American Horror Story and starring Emmy Award winner Sarah Paulson. Netflix's Ratchet tells the origin story of how the iconic asylum nurse from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Mildred Ratchet, came to be. This suspenseful drama delves deep into the mysterious world of 1940s psychiatric hospitals, where Mildred Ratchet must reckon with her past and anyone in her way. Watch Ratchet only on Netflix September 18th. This message comes from NPR sponsor 3M, supporting communities in the fight against COVID-19. Since the outbreak, 3M has responded with cash and product donations, including surgical masks, hand sanitizer, and respirators through local and global aid partners. In addition, 3M is on track to produce 2 billion respirators globally by the end of 2020. Learn how 3M is helping the world respond to COVID-19. Go to 3M.com COVID. 3M Science. Applied to life. This is NPR's Ask Me Another. I'm Jonathan Colton. Now, here's your host, Ophira Eisenberg. Thank you, Jonathan. Before the break, we met our contestants, Allison and Joel. Soon they'll play a game about rocks. And remember, there are four types of rocks. Igneous, sedimentary, metamorphic, and Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> Let's check in with our contestants. Allison, you were once a Jeopardy clue answer? Yes. How did this happen? Tell us. I was in a cab on my way home one night, and I got a text message from someone that I hadn't talked to maybe since high school with just a photo of yeah. the TV screen of my name as a Jeopardy clue. It was about a cookbook that I wrote. It was called First Prize Pies. And the clue was Alice in Cave's book of first prize 
these things. I don't remember exactly yeah. the phrasing, but it was definitely one of the most amazing things that's yeah, ever did, happened to me. Did your publisher call you or your lit <laughs> agent? I did tell, I told my agent and I told my editor and they were both just, you know, mind blown. Yeah. yeah. And they were like, oh, we're going to sell more books. I mean, you would think, but I don't think that that's actually what right. happened. <laughs> Nothing sells more books. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the world we live in. Joel, our next game is inspired by the cartoon Schoolhouse Rock. So what's the most interesting thing you've ever learned from a cartoon? Um, what it's like to live in Brooklyn from Hey Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> and you think it's accurate? It prepared me pretty well. <laughs> That's awesome. So this music parody combines earth science with 1970s edutainment. Allison, stay in the lead, and you're in the final round. Joel, you need to get more points, or you must ask Conjunction Junction what its function is, <laughs> and then coach it through its existential crisis. This game is called Literal Schoolhouse Rocks. We rewrote famous songs from the educational cartoon Schoolhouse Rock and made them about actual types of rock. So just ring in and identify the rock I'm singing about. If you get that right, you can earn a bonus point by telling me what the original song was actually about. All right, ring in to answer. Here we go. Well, every teacher you can know, at every pool hall you can go, it helps your grip and dry sweat so you don't fall down. For climbing rocks it is preferred, go up to the board and write a word. I find it quite interesting, this rock is used for many things. Allison. Chalk. Chalk is correct. And for a bonus point, can you tell me what the original song was about? I cannot. Hmm. It was about nouns. Oh, what a thrill. If you could sculpt me with skill, I'd fill the buildings there on Capitol Hill. Right now I'm stuck in a quarry, so I'll sit here and wait for millions of years to metamorph carbonate. But I'll be a countertop someday. Allison. Granite. I'm sorry, it's not granite, not what we were looking for. Joel, do you know the answer? I was going to go with granite. Uh, <laughs> you still going to do that uh, if you know the... No, 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 give me a, give me a second. Um, <laughs> it's also not granite, but that's a good guess, Joel. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to pass. <laughs> okay. We were looking for marble. Oh, yeah. And that was, uh, I'm just a bill about yeah. bills. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> The mud and clay and minerals that make up me were settled into layers sedimentary. With hydraulic fracking, everybody tried to mine the hydrocarbons I keep trapped inside. Just a nice upbeat song about fracking. Yeah. Uh, it's a sedimentary rock. It's the rock you frack, Allison. Is it shale? Shale. Oh. Yeah, that's right. See you pulling that from somewhere deep inside your skull. And I don't know the song, I'm sorry. Well, then you don't get the bonus point. <laughs> that was Interplanet Janet about the solar system. Here's your next one. This carbon lattice is shiny gray, that's its chromaticity, chromaticity. It's used in pencils, lubricates, it's got elasticity, elasticity. In electronics and batteries Talking about Conductivity Conductivity Joel Graphite? Yeah, graphite, that's right For a bonus point, can you tell me what the original song was about? I'm gonna say friendship <laughs> Close But close. I've never very seen close, very uh, close. any of them <laughs> It's about electricity uh, So close <laughs> Uh, this is your last clue. This stone's an igneous thing Formed in a volcanic ring Used as a shower scrub Lightweight and rough to rub Looks light and foamy with bubbles built in It will slough off your dead foot skin <laughs> Allison uh, Pumice? Pumice is the answer, you got it uh, any, any guess as to the content of the original song for a bonus point? I mean, it, all the words ended with in, so maybe 
winning? I don't know. <laughs> winning, a song about winning. It's teaching, a song about winning. Teaching kids that how important it is yeah. to win. No. Yeah. Sorry, that is incorrect. <laughs> it was called Unpack Your Adjectives, and it was about unpacking. It's about adjectives. Mm-hmm. Well, Fira, how, how did our contestants do? They were amazing. And after two games, Allison is moving on to the final round. <laughs> While Charlie and Allison get ready for the final round, it's time for us to play a game along with our special guest. Please welcome back Jim Gaffigan. Jim, this game is called Wisdom of the Crowd. We asked a previous live audience here at the Bell House to respond to questions with numerical answers. For example, how many kernels are there on an ear of corn? And then we average everyone's guesses. And now I'm going to ask you... The same questions, you and Jonathan, and we're going to find out who's closer, you, Jonathan, or the wisdom of the crowd. All right, you're going down, Jonathan. (laughs) All right, I'm ready. According to a survey conducted by the research company OnePoll, what percentage of adults still cuddle with a childhood stuffed toy? Jim? I'm going to say 17%. 17%. Okay, Jonathan, what do you think? That feels high to me. Yeah? Uh, I, you know, once you have a significant other, ideally, that's your stuffed toy. <laughs> what is... <laughs> Why can't a stuffed toy be your significant other? It's true. I'm going to say it's a little bit lower, but can it's I... higher than I think. Can I change my answer? <laughs> I'm going to go with 12%. All right. All right, I'm going to go with 10. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Jim thinks 17% of adults still cuddle with a childhood stuffed toy. Jonathan thinks 12%. The audience thinks the answer is 22%. And Way they, too high, audience. Right? I think. But get this, the actual answer is 43%. What? Yes, you're all reacting that way, but 43% of you do Wait a minute. it. Wait a minute. I think this is just real. You know what's interesting? It's like, you know, my wife had a brain tumor. Did I bring that up? And our friend gave us this stuffed animal, uh, not animal, stuffed brain. It was like a plush that's shaped like a brain. brain. It's cuter than it sounds. I and can that's imagine in our bed, and re- I sometimes cuddle it. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, wait a minute. Yeah. So you're part of the problem so or solution. You know what? I was, I was caught up in my own bias. <laughs> Happens all the time. <laughs> According to the latest data from the original Tooth Fairy poll, how much money does the Tooth Fairy pay American kids per tooth on average? Jim, you know about this. Yeah, I do know about this. I'm going to say that it's a dollar. One dollar per tooth. One dollar. All right. How much do you give your kids? I don't give them anything. Great. Good. Because they deserve nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Jonathan? I, I will say it depends a lot on... If it was the first child or the second child or the third child. Sure. I feel like some, sometimes you're going to give a coin to a kid because when you're a kid, every amount of money seems like a huge yeah, amount of money. That's true. So you can get away with uh, giving them a lot less. Yeah. Uh, when you have uh, children, it's also what bills do you, you, have, you have on in your you? pocket? <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, do you have a one on you? you just leave a bank you know card I mean? there. It's too. like one of my kids, I gave him a euro. You know what I mean? It's like they don't know. Uh, I'm going to say that it's somewhere between uh, 50 cents and a dollar just to be interesting. I'll say 63 cents. 63 cents, okay. On average. That is interesting. All right, so... (laughs) Really fascinating. Jim thinks the average kid gets a dollar per tooth. Uh, Jonathan thinks uh, the kid gets 63 cents. 63 cents. Our audience thinks the answer is five dollars and seventeen cents per tooth. Five dollars wow. and seventeen. And according so, to, but that's probably an average. So like, that's an average. That's, that's right. That's like one nut job saying a hundred dollar bill. <laughs> uh, and according to that poll, as of two thousand and seventeen, the average was four dollars and thirteen cents wow. per tooth. What is happening out there? I know for kids' you know tooth. I understand if you're an adult and you lose a tooth, someone should give you five bucks. Yeah. <laughs> Or give you a, a, an address of a dentist. <laughs> That'd be nice, too. A hookup? Okay, here's your final one. According to CBS News, how many tater tots did Americans consume in total in 2017? Jim, tater tots? Okay, 
the ironic thing is I kind of know this. Uh, all right, so what do we got? 330 million Americans, right? Uh-huh. How many of them eat any tater tots over the course all of right, the year? All right, 329 million. Uh-huh. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Most of them, yeah. Tater so, tots are delicious. Uh, you know, let's weight it a little higher for the Midwest where I'm from. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm going to say 600 million tater tots. <laughs> okay. Okay, so two tots per person. I'm going to say two tots. Look, there's a lot of people that are not eating tots, but there's a lot of people that are eating a lot more tots. You got to think also schools. There's a lot of tots. True. No. A lot of tots. Jonathan, what do you got? That is such an upsetting idea. (laughs) The idea of 600 million tater tots in one place is freaking me out. Yeah. And for that reason and that reason alone, I'm going to take it down in order of magnitude. And yeah. I'm going to say 60, 60 million. 60 million. Okay. Wow. I guess there's a diet occurring. <laughs> Have you ever been to Idaho, my friend? Jim thinks 600 million. Jonathan thinks 60 million. Our audience thinks 6 billion, 222 million, 163,540. Wait a minute, is pot legal in Manhattan now? <laughs> but the actual answer is, of how many tater tots did Americans consume in total in 2017? 38 billion. Oh. That's... What a beautiful country it's we amazing. live in. It's amazing. It's <laughs> amazing. Uh, technically, I guess you won that one. <laughs> All right, that's Wisdom of the Crowd. Thanks again to Jim Gaffigan. His latest Grammy-nominated album is Noble Ape. Thank you so much. Jim Gaffigan, everybody. It's time to crown our big winner. Let's bring back our finalist, Charlie Rubinovitz, an executive assistant whose boss needs to give him more credit. And Allison Cave, who's a baker and a bartender, but she does not do formal pairings. Charlie and Allison, your final round is called Chart Toppers. I'll give you the name of a musical artist and a clue to one of their Billboard number one hit songs. You tell me the name of the song. For example, if I said, Lord, 2015 World Series champions, you'd answer Royals. Our big winner will receive an Ask Me of the Rubik's Cube signed by Jim Gaffigan. We rolled a 20-sided die backstage, and Allison is going first. Here we go. Allison, Camila Cabello, the capital of Cuba. Uh, oh, my God. Lima? No, that's so terrible. I'm sorry. No, I'm wrong. I don't know. Yeah. It's fine. The answer we were looking for was Havana. Charlie, Fergie, a structure that spans the Thames River. London Bridge. That is correct. Allison, Jay Sean featuring Lil Wayne, a layer of fine feathers. Down? That is correct. Charlie, Lil Wayne featuring Static Major, candy made by Dum Dums and Chupa Chups. Lollipop? That is correct. Jonathan, what's the score? Well, so far the score is two to one, and Charlie is in the lead. Allison, D4L. Chewy candy brand that comes in flavors like green apple, banana, and cherry. Haichu? I'm sorry, that is incorrect. We were looking for Laffy Taffy. Charlie, designer. Bear with a diet of 99% bamboo. Panda. That is correct. Allison, Owl City. Insects in the Lamparidae family. Butterfly? Sorry, that is incorrect. We're looking for fireflies. Charlie, Post Malone featuring 21 Savage, video game company known for making Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption. I don't know. (laughs) We're looking for Rockstar. We're at the halfway point of our questions, Jonathan. Charlie's in the lead, three to one. Allison, Childish Gambino. 1942 book of patriotic photographs co-authored by Eleanor Roosevelt. Redbone? Sorry, that is incorrect. We're looking for This is America. Oh, yeah, that would make way more sense. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Charlie, The Weeknd. MTV reality show that starred Lauren Conrad and Kristen Cavallari. Can't feel my face. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Um, the Hills. We were looking for The Hills. Allison, Sean Paul. Physical quantity that can be measured on the Kelvin scale. Temperature? That is correct. Charlie, Rihanna featuring Drake. Physics concept measured in joules. Work. That's correct. We're near the end of our questions. What's the score, Jonathan? Well, the score is now four to two with Charlie in the lead. Allison, if you get this question wrong, Charlie will win the game. Allison, Bruno Mars, a weapon that comes in baseball and pineapple types. Grenade? That is correct. So it's now four to three. Charlie, if you get this question right, you will win. Charlie, Katy Perry featuring Kanye West. Steven Spielberg movie about a boy named Elliot. E.T. That is correct. (laughs) Congratulations, Charlie. And that's our show. Ask Me Others house musician is Jonathan Colton. Hey, my name anagrams to Thou Jolt a Cannon. Our puzzles were written by Juan Escalante, Madeline Kaplan, Glenn McDonald, and senior writer Eric Feinstein, along with additional material by Kara Weinberger and Emily Winter. Our senior supervising producer is Rachel Neal. Ask Me Others produced by Mike Katzip, Travis Larchuk, Kiara Powell, Nancy Seichow, Ramel Wood, and our intern Sean Gold, along with Steve Nelson and Anya Grunman. We're recorded by Damon Whittemore, Rick Kwan, and David. Hurtgen. We'd like to thank our home in Brooklyn, New York, The Bell House. Hot Heel Blues. And our production partner, WNYC. I'm her ripe begonias. Ophira Eisenberg. And this was Ask Me Another from NPR. Hey, happy to hear you're still listening. And since you're still here, why not pop over to Apple Podcasts and write us a review? We love to hear from you, and it helps others find out about our show. For additional information about new episodes, upcoming live shows, road shows, and bonus games, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Thanks. Next time on Ask Me Another, in honor of her new hit Netflix series, Russian Doll, we revisit one of our favorite episodes with actor Natasha Lyonne. And she tells us how she travels light when out in New York City. I always carry a spare pair of panties, Metro card, $20, ID. So I would suggest that sort of a strategy. Join me, Ophira Eisenberg, for NPR's Hour of Puzzles, Word Games, and Trivia. <laughs>